It's the Auburn Observer Podcast, the weekend edition, the game recap edition. Also, we'll do a little bit of previewing in this one as well, because basketball season right around the corner. But let's take care of business first. Auburn wins yet again. Back-to-back wins for the Tigers. After that four-game losing streak, they are now one win away from bowl eligibility, and uh, they've got two opportunities to take care of that before they play Alabama in the Iron Bowl. Justin Ferguson right here in Nashville. We're recording this on Sunday morning. I'll be on my way to Atlanta later today. Tomorrow on my way to Auburn's matchup in South Dakota against Baylor to open the season in basketball. We'll talk about that later on. Back holding it down on the planes, making sure everything is is, uh, is 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 nice and orderly. Mr. Dan Peck, how are we doing, Dan? That's right. No malarkey this weekend anywhere on the planes. I'm making sure of it, Justin. There you go. We need we need we need we need the the the, the long arm of the law uh, right there in in Auburn. Checking in from an undisclosed location, the pit where the government cannot find him. Um, a man who is more anarchy than law and order, uh, Mr. Painter Sharpless on the ones and twos. How are we doing, Painter? Doing well. One of the best weekends of college football, in my opinion. I think most people would have said it was a pretty good time, one way or the other. Shout out to uh, shout out to Dan Rubenstein of uh, Solid Verbal. He has a thing, and I, and I remember seeing something about it yesterday. Has a thing that he says <clears throat> the first weekend in November in college football always delivers. Like it's always like a banger weekend. Seems to be that way uh, on, on on Saturday. I didn't get to see a ton uh, just because Auburn had that middle of the day, you know, game. Um, so it's harder to watch stuff beforehand and afterwards. But obviously, uh, keeping track of uh, everything that went on, you had like Oklahoma State beating Oklahoma in the final Bedlam game. Potentially, that's that's electric. Um, you know, Alabama LSU lived up to the high scoring hype. We had two great games in the SEC leading up to Auburn Vanderbilt because you had Ole Miss, Ole Miss A and M was in was ending, and Florida Arkansas yep. was and and those were those were both like tremendously entertaining games. Brutal. Georgia Missouri looked really good from what I could tell. Yeah, br- brutal losses for for you know in, in both of those early games because you know it's just a, you know a couple of games where you know both both coaching staffs, both fan bases desperately wanted it but that's the that's the nature of college football this time of year yeah and and one of those games arkansas beating florida makes auburn's trip to arkansas on saturday look a lot a lot more interesting for sure uh and we will definitely get to that uh, later this week but uh let's take care of the business at hand because auburn took care of the business at hand uh 31 15 auburn over vanderbilt uh painter i want to start with you you said on our pre- preview podcast this week that you felt pretty good about Auburn taking care of business, winning, covering. Obviously, it wasn't always pretty for the Tigers, but they, I mean, I the vibe I got walking out of, of uh, the construction zone last night was uh, that Auburn just did what it needed to do, nothing more, nothing less, and that's just kind of the sign of where the program is right now. From your perspective and just the 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 way that went down on Saturday, what what, what were you thinking? I understand that people will have the desire, rationale, and, and it makes sense to want to focus on some of the sloppy elements of the game, but it is the second week in a row where Auburn dispatched an opponent that it was clearly better than. It was in control of the game the entire time, and while there was some boomer bust element to Auburn's performance, defense was outstanding, 
offense created some excitement for you. And when you're in a year one and you know you're not going to necessarily be guaranteed a whole bunch of wins, doing stuff like this feels pretty good. Dan, your your opening thoughts on Auburn uh, winning by 16 at Vandy. Yeah, I mean it's it's about perspective, you know, as as it usually is. I mean, we were we were thinking about you know those those other games going on in college football this past weekend. Bo Nix had a great game uh, against uh, against Cal. Peyton Thorne becomes the first Auburn quarterback since Bo Nix to win back to back SEC games with the win over Vanderbilt this weekend, which shouldn't feel like a big accomplishment, but Bo Nix has been gone for two years, and you know that that kind of progress is something that we've been waiting for, even if it's just a small step and and a, a small sign that things are going in the right direction. But yeah, I, th- I think these last two weeks, you did not, you know, we, the way the way we analyzed it, you did not have the talent disadvantage that you did uh, in, in some of those games in the SEC Auburn played earlier in the season. And so a strong showing, you don't want to say it was expected, uh, because you know they're, they, the the team still had to go out and prove it, but you had the feeling that Auburn could shine against Mississippi State and Vanderbilt, and maybe start to uh, show some progress and and build some momentum. And I think that while it wasn't flawless yesterday, you saw some things that had been missing earlier in the season when when Auburn was struggling to get SEC wins. This was a win for Auburn, where you know you just needed to get a good performance away from home and obviously it wasn't perfect and it had had a really crazy amount of boomer bust to it on offense and we we will talk about it usually when we do these 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 recap podcasts we go offense and defense and you know kind of break it down that way i want to start with the defense because guys this defensive performance was phenomenal um outside of really one drive um where vanderbilt you know scored their only offensive touchdown of the game this was one of the better performances from an Auburn defense against anybody that we've seen uh, in a while, especially in SEC play. And Vandy's a little tricky on offense, especially when you've got you know a guy like a guy like Will Shepard out at wide receiver. Um, you know, Vandy opening drive got down the field, and then Auburn got the stop to force a long field goal. It was missed. By the way, Vanderbilt had not hit a field goal in over a month. So it was just like holding a holding a team. Now they hadn't had very many opportunities, but like holding a team to that uh, to make them kick is like okay. Well, you haven't done this in a while, so like that is definitely a win. And uh, of course, they miss it, and and Auburn you know goes from there. Um, and then eight straight punts for Auburn in this one. Vandy scores on a touchdown drive. Hugh Free said after the game, Marcus Harris uh, and some of those guys. I kind of looked at at each other on the sideline and said, "All right, it's not that's not going to happen again." Vandy goes on this super long drive where they just get. I mean, Shepard had a great catch on fourth down. They had some big third down conversions. Um, Auburn still comes up strong in the red zone, gets the stop. Game's pretty much over at that point, and then the turnover streak lives. Final play of the game for Vanderbilt's offense. Nehemiah Pritchett comes up with an interception. Uh, that is now, I believe, 17 straight games Auburn has had a turnover forced, um, eight, all nine this year, and uh, it's the best mark Auburn's had since 2007-2008 in that category. This defense, though, guys, was, I mean, very little to say, oh, you could have done better here. There some plays for sure, but once again, I mean, it, it goes back to what I wrote about earlier this week 
from you know the Auburn defense's perspective. And I'll and I'll do a little quick quick uh, stat stat blast here. Um, you know Auburn coming off of that game yesterday against Vandy, uh, yards per play uh, they improved. Uh, Auburn is now 68th in the country in yards per play, uh, but even more importantly. Uh, this season, they're up to top forty in the country in uh, in in points allowed per game. I think when you take who they've played, the strength of schedule, and you look at things like SP Plus, FEI, stuff like that, this Auburn defense is playing like a top twenty-five unit. And like, it's so strange, Dan, because like this is not a dominant go get you know go out there and just kill all hope kind of defense. They looked like that for stretches of that game yesterday against Vanderbilt. But they just get off the field, and they get stops. And, I mean, we were talking about this in the press box after the game. You look at the collection of talent Auburn's got on defense this season, especially outside of the secondary. And I would say Ron Roberts has done one of the better jobs I've seen an Auburn coordinator do in the last several years because I don't think, on paper, this defense should be as good as it is. But it is. And a lot of that goes to Roberts and his staff and, and these guys for I mean just playing really hard and, and having short memories. They give up a big play, they turn around and get a stop right after that. That's that that's big. And and while there were times that the defense looked good last season as well, I think it's important to remember last season's defense had Derek Hall and Colby Wooden and Owen Papo, who all moved on uh, to the NFL. And so Auburn was, you know, it, it seemed like Auburn was gonna take a step back defensively from where they were last year with the players they lose. I don't know if Auburn has uh, taken a step back defensively. And this past week, I mean, the Vanderbilt game, I believe, Justin, that when Auburn scores to make it 31 to seven, Auburn has five drives that have ended in points and Vanderbilt has five first downs. Like that's that's where the game was at at 31 to seven. And, you know, it's, it's tempting to. I mean, what Vanderbilt produces a little bit more after that. I think there's it's about midway through the third quarter when Jeremiah Cobb scores uh, to to make it a 31 to seven game. But but that's a I mean, that's a sign of how dominant Auburn had been in the first two and a half quarters, really giving Vanderbilt very little room to work with. And it seems like this is a this is an it's especially tough if you can't generate big plays against the Auburn defense, trying to drive down the field and consistently win uh, with, with, you know, 10, 12 yards in, in four plays like that's eventually your number is going to run out, right? Like eventually the, the, the luck's going to, going to not be there. And so I would, uh, yeah, I I think that the way this defense has played and the way they played Saturday, uh, it's, it's been really impressive all year. This was the best game I thought all year for Auburn's defensive front. This is not a unit that has been creating a ton of havoc. Auburn's had to like lean on their linebackers a little bit more and their DBs more to blitz. Um, Auburn's defensive front just played a, a really strong game on, on Saturday. And here's the thing. Yes, it's Vanderbilt. You're going to hear us say that probably 20 more times on this podcast. Yes, it's Vanderbilt. Here's the thing about Vandy, though. On offense, they had been one of the better teams in the SEC with all their troubles at avoiding negative plays. Number three in the league in conference play in uh, fewest uh, tackles for loss allowed per game and sacks allowed per game. They just don't give up negative plays a lot. They do a good job of getting the ball out of their guys' hands and working around. Like they, you know, they're solid at avoiding the big negatives. And um, in this game, Auburn had five sacks, nine tackles for loss. Both of those are season highs. 
The other thing about that is everybody kind of contributed in this one. Um, if you look at who had the plays, you saw, you know, you know um, Marcus Harris, Cam Riley, Zykevis Walker, Jalen McLeod, Austin Keys, Eugene Asante, DJ James, Keontae Scott, Lawrence Johnson had a huge tackle for loss in the game. Those are all guys that made plays in the backfield. So it wasn't just one dude going off. It was everybody contributing, everybody working. You saw some guys lower on the depth chart, these reserves rotating into the game, and you didn't really see a drop-off in this in this game. You know, it wasn't like, okay, well, Marcus Harris or Jalen McLeod's not on the field. Auburn's not getting any pressure. No, I mean, they played really well against a team, again, that doesn't struggle with this. And they've played Georgia, and they've played Florida, and they've played Missouri, and they've played some teams that are they're good and have really good talent in the trenches. Auburn really came to play on that in that end. And if they can do that over the next few weeks, you talk about potentially playing a team like Alabama in the Iron Bowl, what you could do setting up moving forward, because there's some guys on that defensive front who'll be back next year. Um, you know, this was the this was the first time I think all season where I watched Auburn's defensive front play and say, Oh, that is a really good game for him. That is a good sign of growth. Most of the time this season this has kind of been, yeah, they made some plays, but it what they didn't make a huge impact on the game. Saturday this, they did. Th- this is entirely anecdotal, Justin, but doesn't it seem like you're seeing more like teams will have a lot of success on that first drive and then crash back down to earth on subsequent drives? Uh, and and people say, Well, they they're able to script the first 10, 12 plays of the game, which provides some of that. But, I mean, Auburn, I believe Vanderbilt goes three and out on five of the next six drives after the first drive of the game, after they missed that field goal on the opener. I mean, Vanderbilt, a lot of the offensive success they had in the first half, they had on that first drive of the game. Uh, and, six and they, out of seven, Dan. Six okay, out so, of seven. They only, they only had one first down in that in that whole stretch. After the after the missed field goal on the on yes. the first drive, yeah, I mean they they was it, it they they were unable to really generate anything. A lot of that credit goes uh, to the Auburn defense under a hundred yards for Vanderbilt in the first half, which considering the way they moved the ball on the first drive, is mm-hmm. is really impressive and shows you yeah how how Auburn responded after uh, especially after they got the lead. DJ James had a really good quote, and this is something that I wrote about again in that in that article last week about Auburn's defense. Auburn's defense has done an exceptional job this season of adjusting after the first drive or two from opponents. Go back, you know, Ole Miss a few weeks ago, two touchdowns, and then a string of three and outs after that. Uh, This game, Vanderbilt has their best drive for a long time, and then they just don't get anything after that. And DJ said, you know, the coaching staff says, survive the script. And that's kind of the thing where it's become more and more popular and kind of more and more of a known thing in football um in in football circles but in case you know you you might not know the script is so basically what a team does is their opening drive of the game on offense they usually have a script that they go through and say hey we want to run these plays in this order and we might be able to tweak it depending on the situation but this is what we want to do and you wrap it and you and you lock it down and everybody knows what you're going to do and Usually, that is where you see an offense play really efficiently. I'll give you an example. We're recording this right now during the Chiefs-Dolphins game that's going on in Germany today. Um, the Chiefs walked down the field on the opening drive, and it was you know a lot of NFL folks like, hey, awesome script. Our buddy Parker, Stats of War on, on, on Twitter, likes to have a thing. Uh, our, 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 another buddy of ours, 
Richard Johnson at Split Zone and, and and Sports Illustrated likes to say, "Hey, great job, nice nice opening drive. All right, let's see what you do after the script." So Auburn's done a really good job of this season of learning from that opening drive. And even if the other team gets points or gets an opportunity to get, get points, they adjust and tweak really well off of that. A lot of credit goes to Ron Roberts there. Um, they did a they did an exceptional job of that. And the big difference in this one is Will Shepard. We talked about it on the preview podcast. Will Shepard was Vanderbilt's best chance of staying in this game. He is one of the better receivers in the SEC. He is a big play threat. He goes up. He's an NFL guy. I mean, he made a couple of catches in this game that were like, yeah, you, you're not going to be long, very long for here, bud. Um, he gets two catches on the opening drive, and then he doesn't have another catch until the fourth quarter. Auburn did a great job of making sure that guy wasn't going to beat you, and if that guy's not going to beat you, sorry to say, Vanderbilt, you don't really have a ton of other weapons that you can rely on. Um, DJ James, Nehemiah Pritchett, Kayan Lee, uh, some of these other guys that got on the field on Saturday um, did a really good job of limiting him. Now, he got a couple down the stretch, but four catches on 10 targets, you took away, essentially, their best weapon. That's great defensive game planning. That's great adjusting to what you what you do early on. And it's Auburn playing to its strengths. What's Auburn's strength this season on defense? Well, they've got a secondary full of guys that are experienced and could be playing on Sundays very soon. They they did that and they and they lined up across across guy. Say what you want about the quarterback play of Vanderbilt, everything else like it's they've struggled this year. Shepard is a dude that is going to be playing on Sundays. You got some DBs that are going to be playing on Sundays, and more often than not, your D's your DBs beat them, and it was a big reason why Auburn Auburn dominated on that end of the the field. You mentioned the play of the uh, the defensive line. I mean, Marcus Harris has been playing sensational football. All season, even in games that Auburn uh, doesn't win, you know Marcus Harris. If if you have if you have twenty two Marcus Harris's, you're probably not going to lose very often in <laughs> in, in college football. Um, I mean, you got to you got to be strategic, I suppose. But you understand what I mean. I'd love to uh, see. I, I'd love to see. I, I'd love to see Marcus. You know, drop back and 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 survey the field. Get it. Throw it. Throw it out there. I think he can do it. I mean, I'm still I'm still holding out hope for the for the five tight end package at some point this year, but. We get Marcus on the field too, you know, whatever works. Uh, Lawrence Johnson, pretty active game for, that was a, for great a game. Yeah, I mean that that's a guy that we have not, we haven't shouted him out very often on uh, post game shows here, but but this is a guy who I thought was very active very early, and uh, and has has made uh, a showing for himself over the course of conference play. Right, feels like we've seen more uh, Lawrence Johnson earlier in games and against Vanderbilt, he was making some big tackles. How about Zeke Walker? Zacchaeus Walker, this is a guy that has had quite a journey to get to this point. You talk about a highly rated guy coming out of high school, had a good freshman season, kind of fallen out of the rotation, had injuries, had other things the last couple of years. We took so many questions about Zeke Walker his freshman year, I think just because people Mm -hmm. would see him at Tiger Walk, and they'd be like, oh, well, that's that's clearly a guy who should be on the field a lot and and making a big impact. And I mean, it's it's never... It's never been cosmetic, the issue with with Zeke, right? He's always looked the part of a guy who should be all SEC. Yeah, it's just been injuries, and he has he's had some off the field stuff that you know some some tough times that he's gone through that have, that have you know kept him from you know having a a full scale awesome career. But he can make plays, and he showed that on Saturday. We talked to him after the game. Nathan King and I were over there in the post game, and 
Nathan asked the question and I wanted to read the answer here because I think people would enjoy it. Um, you know, Zacchaeus Walker entered the transfer portal last year. I mean, he was he was going to leave and uh, decided to come back uh, for another season. Obviously, he's in the two deep at defensive line. He's, I think that pairing of him and Keldrick Falk, a, a defensive end, and he raved about Keldrick and his future, and Keldrick made some plays on Saturday as well. Um, I really like that. I really like that combo. Um, but, you know, he was just asked, like, why did you come back to Auburn? Like, why, why did you decide to stay out of the transfer portal? And Zeke's answer was, um, quote, I'm big on prayer. I believe God doesn't make any mistakes in life. I prayed about it, and it was put on my heart to come back to Auburn. After talking with Coach Freeze and Coach JG, Jeremy Garrett, they told me what I needed to hear, that it was my best interest to come back to Auburn and compete with these guys. Dude who loved Auburn, he didn't want to leave Auburn. He was just in a very bad situation, and it didn't look like he was getting any playing time. And obviously, in the previous coaching staff, he was not as much of a factor um, as he was as a freshman, and yet, kind of like a, it's kind of like a smaller scale version of Eugene Asante, where you know a guy like that um, gets a new opportunity under a new staff and 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 takes full advantage and, and shines. Um, and staying at Auburn, staying at a place he wanted to be at, giving it a second chance, is really cool to see. Um, speaking of playmakers, and uh, I wanted to mention this: DJ James led the team in tackles on Saturday. Um, Vanderbilt tried to play a lot of side to side. How about that that screen pass that DJ completely, you know, dismantled? One of the better plays we've seen this season from an Auburn DB. I uh, got into the backfield a few times, blew up some screens, uh, some more screens, I should say. Um, this, I mean, DJ James is playing well this year, and Nehemiah Pritchett is as well. But like, this was a, especially going up against Will Shepard, this was a. Hey, watch this tape, and and uh, in in a couple months when you see it, you know, on the, see it at NFL scouting circles, uh, it was it, it's going to be something that people are going to highlight with DJ. I, I mean, great game for him, and again, a guy that stayed at Auburn, and I think both him and Pritchett have raised their stocks this season even more, even though they could have easily gone to the league last year. Uh, Simpson got his hand on a, a pass that would have been a big play too, right? There was one mm-hmm. uh, where uh, down down the field, Simpson finds himself one on one with a receiver, which is you know free safety versus receiver is a matchup. Quarterbacks will will sometimes you know they'll 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 take that shot when it's one on one down the field. But uh, Simpson's a, a pretty good pretty good coverage guy uh, for a safety, a converted corner. Uh, during the TV broadcast, Justin, they had a a segment uh, with the Senior Bowl talking about Jalen Simpson. And uh, and and sort of how his game has evolved, and you know, he he's one of the players that the the Senior Bowl was looking at in the game. So uh, yeah, I think that's uh, that's another guy who, I mean, he's he's a fan favorite for a lot of reasons, but he he shows it with his play too. Said after the game that he just needs to get Keontae Scott to get an interception, and then everybody back there is is, is starting to starting to really eat uh, in that secondary. The TV broadcast did call the seatbelt thing putting the sword away. Which is uh, that's mm, a, he's, not yeah, quite. That's yeah, I I get it. And you know what? If you're unfamiliar with what he's doing, it's an okay guess, I suppose. Sure. But it's it, you know it, I do feel like it's a it's a thing that's been it's it's been talked about once or twice. And so, but I, but he did, yeah. He did I've said I said I told you yesterday. I think the seatbelt uh, celebration is one of the best innovations in 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 celebrating that I can remember in my lifetime. Like it is such a good uh you know it's such a good 
DB move, and I'm glad it like has caught on as much as it, as much as it has. Um, but yeah, really, really impressive game from Auburn on the defensive side. Outside of that one drive where and Free State felt like they kind of fell asleep at the wheel a little bit. The effort, maybe the attention to detail wasn't there. They get it shored up after that. This is one of the better defensive games we've seen Auburn play. And again, if Vanderbilt was a lot trickier on offense than they were on defense, and for Auburn to take that away and play so well on that side of the ball uh, was was really key. Uh, before we switch over, uh, Painter, two questions. One, seatbelt thing, big fan of it. And, and number two, just how impressed were you with the defense uh, on, on Saturday? Generally speaking, as long as folks are having fun, uh, which they were, then no big complaints for me. I suppose like the only time that it might be somewhat obnoxious is like the well-worn bit of when a defensive back doesn't do anything and then they celebrate the play because the quarterback airmailed the ball 20 yards over their head. But, uh, you know, on the whole, like this defensive <laughs> back group has been really good. And to that, I say celebrate yourself and your success. Also, uh, I don't think I can add anything else to what y'all have already said. No, it's not an elite group. I think they played slightly above what expectations were. Quite frankly, you know, the defense has, in most games this season, given them a chance to, theoretically anyway, win the game. Now, I understand there comes some caveats with that, but generally speaking, the defense has positioned this team nicely almost every game this season. Hey, Painter, I was going to ask. You are... Dan and I are are bigger guys. Dan's Dan's a lot taller than me. Uh, So you are a resident short king expert on this podcast. I'm just imagining Painter Sharpless as a DB. I'm thinking safety. I'm thinking like you're trying to be like the Tyran Matthew. Like you're going to try to play in the down in the box more than maybe dropping back into coverage. Am I, am I right here? If if we're if we're if we're putting Painter Sharpless college DB, like what's what's the skill set we're working with? Unless I'm just an insane person, which I don't think that you can rule out, you're probably barking up the right tree. It's funny you mentioned Tyran Matthew. Uh, yesterday while watching games with my girlfriend, I was like, man, I really should have, I really should have focused on like the, the college football coach route. I actually mentioned one of your brothers for, cause he did that in high school and has followed up with it. You know, he's a bit of a, of a football nerd. And, you know, if you know, you're passionate about sports and also like me, know your limitations, then it, that's <laughs> probably the better place to, to focus your efforts. Um, and then she went, well, you could have been like Tyran Matthew, to which I said, no, yeah. I couldn't. You could have just been an elite athlete painter at one of the best schools in the country. You could have just done that. Haven't you, have you considered trying to be a little bit better? Have you considered being one of the best safeties in college football history? How, how I would have was, liked uh, the perks that came with it, believe me. Uh, how, how big was Javi Arenas? He, he wasn't. He wasn't that. He was man. A, a that is a fun. great name to pull out the hat. I have not thought about yeah. that guy in years, but he was electric. Yeah, shout, shout out to Javier Arenas. But that was that was a five eight five nine defensive back that could uh, that, that could that could cause some trouble. Uh, in, five in, nine, in, in according to Wikipedia. Okay. Five nine. Yeah, I think that's I think that's a good one. I also consider like I see Painter as a DB, like do it like. To me, you're gonna do like the peanut Tillman, like the peanut punch, like that's gonna be your like signature move. Where it's like, where it's like, oh well, he didn't shut him down on that play, but if he's gonna come up from behind you. Better watch out, like it's gonna be, you know, it's kind of like uh, P- 
kind of like in basketball where you're worried about the wolf coming behind you on on uh, on steals in, in the open floor. Like I can I'm going to slide in here in the last ten percent of the play, and uh, I'm going to get a little credit for something. How about okay. speaking of punches? That Texas A&M player really letting a season's worth of Whoa. frustrations out in one move. Can't do that. Yeah, no, that was a that was a Ric Flair low blow. My man went and <laughs> got every ounce of. of he said, "I have there. the low ground, and I'm going to use it." It's incredible. All right, let's uh, we'll talk about the offense here, but first, let's take care of some quick business. First off, hello. Uh, if you like this show and you want more of it, uh, you can subscribe to the Auburn Observer, six dollars a month or sixty dollars a year to subscribe to everything we got going on at the Observer. All the newsletters, all the podcasts. It's a very very busy week. Like I said, I'm going to South Dakota for the opener for basketball. We'll be going to Arkansas for that game, and then we'll be going to Brooklyn uh, next week for uh, for Auburn basketball's uh, games against Notre Dame and a team to be named later. Um, should be a lot of fun. We're going to have a ton of stuff. Real quick programming note right here. Um, so I did – I've been doing the 13 for 13 series, and originally my thought was, hey, 13 weeks in a college football season – 13 stories, 2013. Ah, we love themes. Um, with I didn't really plan out how crazy basketball travel and all that was going to be in my head beforehand. So here's what I'm going to do. We're going to take a pause on 13 for 13. You will get 13 stories. We'll have one Iron Bowl week, probably have one SEC championship game week, maybe another one uh, during bowl season. Those will be back. Um, I will just have a little bit more pressing uh, stuff to write with basketball underway, football, you know, hitting the stretch run and all that. But that will be back. I know some of you have really enjoyed the 13 for 13, and we appreciate – I really, really appreciate all the feedback I've gotten on it. Uh, that will come back. We we will just take a pause here for the next couple of weeks at least uh, to figure out uh, what the best schedule is to wrap that up. But we got everything going on, observations, mailbags, uh, analysis will be on the ground, like I said, in South Dakota and elsewhere. Also, Painter, you got, a, you, you got some news for us. If it interests you, uh, friends of the program will be recording Monday, and we will put that episode out Wednesday morning. Okay. Do you want to real quick? Do you want to you want to run that on Tuesday? Is that possible? Because I mean, basketball plays Tuesday night. I guess we're gonna do it Tuesday. All right. There you go. Tuesday morning. You got Tuesday morning. You get friends of the program in your inbox. You also get a newsletter from me. Wednesday, you'll get uh, the uh, the South Dakota the Baylor game observation. We'll just have a ton of stuff throughout the week. So armadobserver.com, check it out uh, if you haven't already. And also we got to tell the folks at home about our friends at home field apparel, homefieldapparel.com, the number one place to get collegiate vintage apparel. We're talking the softest t-shirts, hoodies, sweatshirts, joggers, quarter zips, hats. They have snapbacks now, uh, dad hats, homefieldapparel.com. A lot of great Auburn stuff there. Uh, the bomber jackets went by quick. They're continuing to release even more bomber jackets throughout uh, here uh, the buildup to college basketball season. You can also get the official Observer T-shirt. Just search Auburn Observer at homefieldapparel.com. This is your first time ordering from there. 15% off your first order if you use the promo code Observer23 at checkout. That is Observer23 at checkout. Fellas, the offense for Auburn. I wrote this in the observations. A couple weeks ago after the Ole Miss game, I wrote a story saying, uh, yeah, Auburn had no explosiveness, no efficiency, and no identity. Um, over the last two weeks, they have found some explosiveness. And here's the thing. If you're not going to be efficient, which I think at this point in the year we can tell that Auburn is not going to be the most efficient offense in the world, you better be explosive. 
And by golly, they were explosive on Saturday against Vanderbilt. Jarquez Hunter ripping off two huge touchdown runs in the first quarter. Looked like he was going to run forever in this game. Very boomer bust. Um, he had a lot of runs that weren't as successful, and Auburn kind of got stacked up uh, near the line of scrimmage uh, pretty frequently uh, in this game. Um, when it felt like Auburn was kind of getting a frustrating point on offense, Peyton Thorne stretched the field, um, got some deep balls downfield. Not all those were caught, but the ones that were turned into some big plays, moved the ball. Um this was a game where, yeah, I mean, Auburn's success rate in this game was lower. How about this? Auburn's offensive success rate, which is basically, you know, 50% uh, of the yards they gain on first down, 70% on second down, 100% on third down or fourth down. That's basically the easiest way to explain success rate. Um, their success rate on offense in this game was lower than it was two weeks ago against Ole Miss. But they still put up over 30 points and had a good number of yards you know, had a solid offensive day. Very boomer bust. This is a very erratic offense. But again, like I said, if you're going to, if you're not going to be efficient, if you're going to have self-inflicted wounds and penalties and drops and inefficiency and just some of the stuff we've seen from Auburn all season long, you might as well hit some big plays if you, if, if you can. And, and Auburn did. And, and, and Dan, this is the biggest difference maker for Auburn over the last two weekends. Yes, they're playing against, worst defenses, but they have been able to take advantage of those matchups by at least stretching the field. And on top of that, Jarquez Hunter's really starting to look like the Jarquez Hunter we lost we saw the last two seasons. And Auburn came very close to having a few more big plays oh, through the man. air. It felt, felt like a lot more. Felt like Vanderbilt, you know, th- their strategy was that they were going to have to take some chances and, and let Auburn, you know, maybe get some preferable matchups down the field in order to try to be as competitive as possible at the line of scrimmage. Love the notes that Auburn will throw out, uh, you know, at, at the halftime one. I don't, I don't know, uh, Justin, you got a lot going on, so I don't know if, if you're able to browse these. Uh, but but the the uh, the note that this was first uh, Jarquez, first Auburn player with 100 yards in the first half of a game since Tank Bigsby against Arkansas in 2020. And the last time an Auburn running back had 100 yards or more in the first quarter of a conference game, you got to go back to Cassinius Moore in 2001. Mm. I mean, that's a name I'm not expecting to get in the email blast. But, yeah, I mean, it was a uh, a big start for Jarquez Hunter, immediately put Vanderbilt on their heels. And, yeah, I mean, look, we don't know the specifics of Jarquez's offseason, uh, but it does, you know, I think it's understandable that it might take him some time to find a rhythm right. because you can only, you know, if, if he was away from the team for a stretch of the off season, uh, th- that can be a difficult thing to, uh, to just absorb uh, in time for opening day or in time for the first time you're out there. And it does seem like Jarquez is somebody who has gotten better as the season goes on. Jarquez, you know, after the game, Frieza said this the last couple of weeks, he's looking a lot more patient. He felt like in the Cal game, as it was a good example, he just went wide open. Um, and when holes weren't there and things weren't developing, he just would run right into it. Those two touchdown runs he had, especially that first one, he just showed great patience to wait for that 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 hole to develop, and he exploded, made a big play. He's got breakaway speed. Everybody's known that. Um, 
he's just done a really good job of of taking advantage of the 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 situation over the last three weeks. 418 yards on just 51 carries. That is an average of 8.2 yards per carry. That is elite kind of stuff from Jarquez Hunter. Even if it is not, even if Auburn's offense isn't consistently blocking well at the line of scrimmage, the plays aren't developing the way they need to, and they are boom or bust, as we have said, you can overcome a lot of that with a, with a running back who can just tear up a lot of yardage in a short amount of time. Uh, he is playing really, really well. Um, if he keeps it up, he could have a shot at it. He does have an outside shot at still maybe hitting a thousand yards this year. I mean, he's just he's running the ball that well. Vanderbilt's got a really bad run defense. There obviously is going to be some issues where Auburn's where Vanderbilt's defense struggled as much as they had this year, and yet they were able to most of the time keep Auburn from making you know consistently good plays happen. Um, but you got to be glad if you're Auburn that you've got Jarquez back, and I mean. Painter, can you t- kind of tell from your perspective, like watching on TV? Because I, I, you know, on the field or in these games we're watching, there's different angles and 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 all that. Can you kind of tell from your perspective that he just looks different these last few weeks? Because it, it, I'm kind of getting that vibe, and of course the coaching staff said it. I, I just wonder is that coming through on TV as much as it is is coming through uh, you know out here? For my untrained eye, it's probably harder to notice, but it is easy to notice that he is having more success. Yeah, it's it's just he's just done a great job running and playing with that kind of patience. The speed is back too, I think, and, and he's getting more opportunities to kind of rumble. Um, Auburn's offensive line, I mean, they they're banged up. You know, Cam Stutz isn't able to play the whole game. You got Connor Lou in there, and Connor Lou's playing well, but there's going to be some mistakes. There's going to be some breakdowns. There's going to be some missed assignments and stuff like that. You know, but if you have a running back that when he gets that opportunity, he gets that crease. He can make a lot happen with it. I mean, which is what? I mean, we, we, let's go back the last two seasons. He's had some of the best yards per carry of any Auburn running back. We've seen this had a decent workload in decades. And so to be more like that running back over these last few weeks is, is pretty important. And um, they did a really good job with that. Uh, you got to be better. You got to be more consistent in like, you know, just. I don't know, like grinding out like maybe more four or five, six yard carries than just being either 30 or nothing. But again, if you can't have one, you need to have the other. And and the other is definitely the explosiveness. Uh, how about Jeremiah Cobb? Scored touchdowns on two of his last three touches. Uh, he When he is in the red zone, just watch out because uh, they're going to call some sort of multi-back set and they're going to get him involved in motion or something like that. And he's got really good hands. Caught a little fly sweep in this game. Um, you know, caught that wheel route last week against uh, against Mississippi State. Uh, he's a real weapon. And, um, you know, I asked Freeze about Cobb yesterday, and, and he said, we got, we probably need to use him more than what we have been doing. Um, kind of like don't want to have him at this point in the year. You know, you're not going to install the full route tree and the full receiver game thing for him. But pick your spots and use him in certain, certain uh, areas. Uh, Dan, he's another one of those guys that you look at the, this freshman class that has contributed right away. And even though Cobb's not playing nearly the amount of snaps as a as a Lou or a Canley or a Keldrick Falk, um, I mean, he's another guy that just he, he he's he's done really well with his opportunities, and, and I think the future is really bright for him. And I think you've seen Jeremiah Cobb utilized as as one of the red zone weapons that this team you know looks for. You know, they're they're trying to find you know maybe they don't have a 
than of one player who has to get the ball in the red zone. They're trying to spread it around, but they see that Jeremiah Cobb is uh, is someone who can win his matchups and uh, and make things a little bit tougher. I also like speaking of the red zone. Uh, it it didn't work because of the penalty. I like the direct snap to Jarquez again. I know uh, you had the the clipping call that you know can and that's a that's disastrous. You know at at the yeah. five yards and in to get first a first goal yard. of the three and then yeah. you get a fifteen yard penalty that that pretty much kills a lot of chances of scoring a touchdown. But I'm but I'm not blaming the formation necessarily no. or the or the play call. It worked uh, for, a couple weeks ago for that. Well, and and it without the I mean it did. They, they scored a touchdown on the play mm-hmm. and then it gets called back uh, for for the penalty but no I, I like the uh, uh the direct snap to Jarquez as a uh, as something to to keep defenses off guard too because you know you don't want them uh, you you don't want them feeling like they know what's coming and uh, and, and Peyton Thorne can can run in his own right but uh, Jarquez Hunter is a uh, is is a dangerous uh, dangerous red zone back too getting Demari Austin back a little bit more involved Brian Batie as well by the way uh to whom it may concern, Demari Austin didn't have a drop on on Saturday. I don't know why the stat crew gave him a drop. Fix that, fix that for him. The man, the man does not deserve that. Um, but uh, yeah, they're, they're continuing to kind of work some things with that running game. It's it's again boomer bust. But the midpoint is if you're getting an average to above average running game, which is what they have been in SEC play. You'll take it in a year like this. You will definitely take it. It is a foundation that you can build on. And you look at all those guys in that running back room still have eligibility remaining. Uh, Auburn loses the commitment from uh, Fat Burnett this week. Uh, the Andalusia running back uh, seems kind of a mutual thing, or at least they're going separate ways. We'll see. I think Auburn's still going to try to get a running back in this class for sure, and that's something that Cadillac's uh, you know, always been really, really good at. But you could be in a situation next year if Jarquez comes back that Auburn could run this whole running back room right back next year and um, you know the opportunities to get those kind of touches will be will, will be a very fierce competition again. And the the other concern, if everyone were to come back, would be I, I think you'd you'd look at. I mean, I I think Jarquez and Jeremiah Cobb feel like guys that you you'd you'd be confident because of Jeremiah Cobb's age and because of the season Jarquez is having. You know, I I expect both of those guys back. I do wonder if Alston or Batie would have a decision to make about whether or not they'd want to go somewhere where they'd be in line for more playing time than they might be. But I think Auburn would would love to bring uh, the whole running back room back and and try this again next year. Yeah, but T would be a uh, would be a fifth year senior if he decided to come back. Um, but yeah, I mean he, he does have a COVID year that he can use. It'd be very interesting to see what Auburn goes uh, where they would go in that direction. All right, passing game. Uh, here's a stat for you. Um, as I tweeted it on Sunday morning, um, adjusted completion percentage. Basically, what adjusted completion percentage is is you take you take a quarterback's completion percentage and you don't give him the blame for drops or balls where he threw the, threw it away or it was batted down in the line of scrimmage. Usually, that's that's kind of how it works. Last week against Mississippi State, we know Auburn uh, did a really good job of you know Thorne did a really good job of managing pressure, throwing it away. He had a completion percentage, adjusted completion percentage, sorry, of 91.5% last week. This week, 88.5% against Vanderbilt because Auburn had a lot of drops, five or six, depending on where you look um, and depending on your definition of a drop. I don't think it's as binary as if it hits you in the hands and, and you don't catch it, it's a drop. I've never thought that, but you know your results may vary there. Um, 
Well, the coverage matters a little, doesn't it? I mean, it definitely does as well. Okay. Yeah, it definitely does. And I think where the ball's thrown, it is a judgment call. It is 100% a judgment call. And uh, everybody who looks at a play is going to have a different opinion of it. Uh, but 88, it's, per- it's a little bit, it's a little bit like the error in baseball, right? Where it's yes, like, oh, that yes. would have been a, that would have been a great play. He didn't, he didn't do it. Is it, is it a drop or, you know, you start to think like, is, is something more routine or not easy for us to call these things routine? Oh right? gosh. Yeah. Especially when you see stuff like what the Will Shepard catch <laughs> yesterday and you're just like, ah, yeah, yeah, that's easy. Just go do that. But anyway. Uh, this is the first time. So PFF data starts in tw- the 2014 season. This is the first time an Auburn quarterback has had over 85% of uh, in adjusted completion percentage in back-to-back weeks ever. So in the last decade, you, these are two of the more efficient and accurate passing uh, performances we've seen from an Auburn quarterback, period. And you look at this game and you see, hey, if, you catch a couple of those. De- I mean, Omari Kelly had a touchdown that he dropped. Um, you know, Cameron Brown mistimed that ball going up uh, on on another deep shot, uh, and it didn't it didn't work out. I thought That's the a- one the one to Var really surprised me. And then on the very next play, he has the uh, he, he has a, a a big play. Uh, mm-hmm. They they go they go right back to him. I think it was in the Twice. second. Half. That was the yeah. thir- the, th- the third quarter. Uh, that and- that was that was a really nice really really nice uh, sequence. By the way, I I asked Peyton Thorne about that. Hey, going right back to a guy after he drops it. He said he said he was talking to Holden Garner the other day, and he was like, that's always been the thing that people say. But for a quarterback, he said, you don't really think about it as, oh, it's that, oh, that guy just dropped the ball. It is, hey, well, that guy's open in this progression. I need to throw it to him. And so you don't think about it. You just have faith that, hey, I'm going to throw it to that guy because that's where, where he's supposed to be, and, and th- this is where I need to go with the ball. They did it twice with Javarius Johnson. Short memory for these wide receivers. Made some plays off it. Rivaldo Fairweather had some drops and penalties in this game. Here's what he also had. A really good touchdown catch on a corner route. Uh, lining up at tight end. Great play design from Philip Montgomery um, to get him open and, uh, and and really attacking that man-to-man coverage with the safety. Um, there were some really good plays in this game, and there were some really not-so-good plays. And, and you feel like, again – Auburn could have easily had 38, 45. I mean, they had think about all the plays that got called back, right? You had the touchdown get called back. We mentioned earlier on the on the Wildcat. The late touchdown that would have given Jarquez Hunter 200 yards and three touchdowns in the game. That got called back. Brian Batie, long kick return. That would have put Auburn at the 30. Um that got called back. You had dropped touchdowns. You had dropped first down plays that could have made things easier for Auburn's offense. Like it could have been a lot, lot better. And the fact that they still scored thirty plus from it, I think, is is kind of a you know depends on your perspective. Has uh, a glass half empty, um, glass half full kind of thing. I I think it it shows that Auburn could be a lot better than they are, and and they're still making progress. That's a good sign. But again, this passing game. Um, it's, it's, it's hit or miss. But you have seen Peyton Thorne these last two weeks in terms of just getting the ball to his guys. It's been a lot better. And I thought he did a better job first half early on. The pressure was getting to him. He wasn't playing as well as, as you know, as handling it as well as he's had recently. Then he shores it up. And then, of course, I mean, think about it. He had 88.5% adjusted completions percentage. He threw a really bad pick six 
deep in his own own red zone, and he could have easily had another interception on the on the drive that ended in a in a field goal, just a bad throw that that Vanderbilt dropped in the end zone. I mean, could have been worse. Could have been a lot better. That Dan, that kind of feels fitting for this offense this season. And the and the throw, uh, the throw at the end of the first half uh, that Vanderbilt nearly intercepts. I mean, that's that's the one that stands out as you know Peyton Thorne's lone real misfire from from the game. I know I know there were a couple others that could have been closer uh, to the target, but but I thought he played maybe his best game in in an Auburn uniform. All things considered, it was either this week or last week. Uh, against against Mississippi State and the fact that Auburn was on the road, although on the road gets an asterisk too, Justin. We should probably talk about the way Auburn turned it into an uh, uh, something a little bit closer to a neutral site game, or uh, or, or even you know an Auburn game away from Auburn uh, as opposed to a true uh, road game in the conference. But but no, I I thought that uh yeah Peyton Thorne has uh, has has shown more of what I think folks were expecting. Uh, these last couple of weeks than you got early on. I think some of that is it is hard to join a team in the summer and get out there and play starting quarterback. Yeah, you, you said th- that a few times recently, you, you, and you I think, think it's a good point. You think about Jaden Daniels, right? Like Jaden Daniels didn't go through spring with LSU last year. And you remember the first half of the season when Jaden Daniels was out there and, and the LSU offense was struggling, including the game at Auburn in 2022. And that's Jaden Daniels. And we know he's very, very good. And still, it took some time for things to gel at at LSU. So, yeah, I'm I'm uh, enthused about the way Peyton Thorne seems to be finishing the season. And that's another guy uh, with eligibility remaining. And if Peyton Thorne can finish the season uh, playing the way he's playing right now, you know, maybe Auburn feels like they've got a quarterback next year and they don't need to go shopping in the transfer portal. And, and speaking of the transfer portal, Justin, because there's positions where folks feel like Auburn's going to need to, uh, you know, go go make improvements. Seeing a true freshman offensive lineman playing well is so valuable now in college football because it feels like you've got someone who can be a building block for a couple of years. So- sounds like the reviews have been very good of Connor Liu uh, yeah. in, in his two games uh, on the field. Yeah, not perfect. You're going to have mistakes, but... I mean, it's true freshman play one of the hardest positions on the field, which is center. I think, I think the hardest positions to play in football are quarterback, corner, and center. Like those are the those would be the big three for me because it's just there's a lot on your plate and you are all alone in a lot of those in a lot of those areas. If you don't get your job uh, done, it looks really really rough. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think that's a I think it's a very interesting situation for Auburn to be in. They've got some offensive linemen coming back next year. I think they could again, they could be picking. A little bit, a little bit of pick and choose uh, with your uh, with your offensive uh, offensive uh, upgrades in the transfer portal. Banner, I wanted to ask you, Peyton Thorne these last two weeks looking more like the quarterback that Auburn thought they were getting at the beginning of the year. Um, this offense has looked more like the offense they thought they were getting with Hugh Freeze and, and Philip Montgomery. What are your thoughts on just kind of the situation Auburn's in, and what happens if Peyton Thorne finishes the season well? And Auburn decides to run it back with him in 2024 at quarterback. Like, I, I think it's a really interesting spot because you don't know what's going to be available in the transfer portal, and you could have a fifth-year quarterback, uh, you know, at the helm with some momentum. It appears your competition matters greatly. Dan's point is a good one about taking some time for things to come together. Thorn, I don't think was 
ever as bad as he was made out to be at certain times of the season. Um, And of course, there were a lot of elements, other units that were struggling that also contributed to some of his own struggles. Now with more time against lesser competition, they certainly have looked, it's not an all-star unit, but it's one that really what what this season was about. It's one that gives you proof of concept. Uh, the, The only thing that I would say or that I might push back on some when it comes to the transfer portal quarterback situation is that we just saw this staff pursue Peyton Thorne with Robbie Ashford on its depth chart. Now, you might say totally different situation and, you know, it made a lot of sense in many ways for them to go after Thorne. Maybe they don't go after anyone this offseason, but it's clear that the staff is of the mindset that if there's someone out there that is as good, better, or able to push the quarterback room, that they're not concerned about hurting any feelings. And I, I would tend to think that is the right decision. I also think, like, yeah, there's also the thought process that you could have next year for Auburn where you're like, all right, we have Thorn back with another year and he's in the system and he knows what he's doing. Hey, you know, you're bringing in some big name uh, wide receivers, you know, at in the high school ranks, Perry Thompson, Bryce Kane, Malcolm Simmons. You could go get some transfer portal guys there to help you out. And it's like you can see where you can make that that argument. Now, again, I think Thorne, he had two really bad throws and really bad decisions on um in Saturday's game. Outside of that, though, he played really well. And that was kind of like even at his peak at, at Michigan State, you go back and watch his really good year 21 at Michigan State, he would have really good games. And every now and then he'd have some he'd have some tough decisions and tough plays. I think a lot of quarterbacks go through that exact same thing, even some of the very best in college football. It's it's you know, it's gonna happen. You gotta live with some of that as well. And I guess that's the thing, is like I wouldn't necessarily focus on and harp on the bad as much as over the last two weeks, especially if your receivers, you know, catch the ball more on Saturday against Vanderbilt, you're looking at a situation where um, you know, Peyton Thorne is playing some of the better football that we have seen an Auburn quarterback play in a while just in terms of efficiency and accuracy. Now, Painter, you brought up a really good point there. It is Vanderbilt. It is Mississippi State. These are two teams that are struggling against everybody through the air. So, you know, don't go out and, you know, get Heisman odds for them. I would also say it's fair for Auburn fans to not put blinders on when Thorne struggled. I, I just think it's important to note sure, yeah. what, what Dan said about taking time in a new offense with a whole bunch of new players, and that while Thorne looked really bad at certain times, uh, we know that this is the ultimate team sport, and so it's easy to gravitate towards criticizing the quarterback when he doesn't look good. But, you know, of course, there were other elements to his struggles, and against a little bit lesser competition or maybe a lot lesser competition – there have been some moments that you would have for as an Auburn fan where you go, okay, this, this with a little bit more talent looks promising. And I'm, I'm tempted to give Thorne a pass on the interception because the play seemed that seemed broken from the moment they snapped the ball. Like, you know, things seemed off on the, uh, and and it's a a third and seven deep in your own territory. I think folks can question the play calling uh, in, in that moment too. The, the one, uh, the one near the end of the first half, the ball that was nearly intercepted, that felt like the more questionable decision by Thorne because just a bad throw. I thought, yeah, it's it's a bad it's a bad throw, and it's a moment where 
a bad throw could cost you points because you're in the red zone and you know you, you can get a field goal if you, if you don't turn the ball over there if, if you know you maybe even get another shot at a touchdown the uh the interception that turned into the pick six I mean I'm sure some of that is on thorn but that felt like a play where you could spread some blame around uh Thorne was asked about the pick six, and here, here's his quote. He said, I didn't see 22, the guy who made it. I'll have to look back on it. We ran the play earlier in the game. I think we may have run it a couple times before that. The first read was an inside dig. I thought they collapsed on that, so I went outside. I don't know 100% what coverage they were in. They were playing a lot of three to us on third down, cover three. On that one, we had a second dig coming back. It was a little deeper. didn't feel great. I felt like the safety was going to have to chance to drive on that. Then I saw Rivaldo out there, and I thought he was wide open. I kind of not lobbed it to him, but I didn't rifle it in there because I thought it was open. So I looked out there and thought he was going to catch it, get a first down. Until the ball got to him, I was great. Then the dude came out of nowhere, and it caught me off guard. I think it was the DN that dropped, but I don't know for 100%. It's what I was told on the sideline. That was a tough one. You know, that's, the, defense, that's, the defensive back hid behind Rivaldo. Right, Rivaldo's such a you know he's he's such a big dude that it seems like the defensive back used uh he sc- he screened Peyton with Rivaldo. It sounds like since they won the game, there's an element of humor almost to fans being upset about the conservative play calling deep inside Auburn's territory, or really throughout a lot of the second half against Mississippi State when the game was more or less well in hand, and it you know it it comes back to bite Auburn here. So uh, yeah, every game's different. And I'm sure the staff saw something that led them to believe that that would be a, a good thing to do in that moment. However, uh, Freeze spent a good bit of time, at least a couple of minutes, talking to y'all last week about why they were conservative in their play calling. And then the pick six happened and you go, oh, OK. Yeah, yeah. It was, it, that was as soon as it happened, it was very much a uh huh. Yep. I can I could see I could like see what he was thinking. <laughs> you know, Hugh Freeze was thinking from all the way across the field. Like, yeah, that was. I don't know, just some some irony for sure uh, in, in that sense. Uh, Dan, anything you want to add on the offense before we wrap up here? I, I do want to talk about just the 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 day itself and and the and and the fan the fans and all that good stuff. The the only lineman we've really talked about is Connor Lewis. Is there a sense that that Auburn is getting uh, a production, or is is anyone else really achieving on the offensive line uh, when in uh, when you when you talk to coaches and other players, uh, Justin? I, I just think, you know, there's so much on the offensive line that you graded as a unit. And I think the unit on Saturday against Vanderbilt, sometimes it looked really good. Sometimes it looked not so good. When Thorne had time and protection, he threw some really good balls. Uh, it broke down a good bit on on a, on a few of these plays. Obviously, the running game was boom or bust. Uh, you know, I hesitate, Dan, to highlight one particular offensive lineman from this game um, because – yeah, I mean, I thought I thought this was a this was a game where Auburn rotated some on the offensive line, and it was it was hit or miss. It was hit or miss as a unit. I will say this though, Jarquez Hunter, pass pro man, he 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 ate up some some blitzers in this game. Did a really really good job. And I think about a guy who wants to have an NFL future that will get you a lot of brownie points at the next level. Um, so that was a really good really good um, stretch from them. Um, as expected, this game was mostly Auburn fans. Uh, one side of the field was about 95% Auburn fans. The other side of the field, I said, would probably be about 50, 50, maybe a little bit more Vandy than Auburn. It's a weird environment. Uh, Vandy, it's just a different game. Um, the fan base, the program, the size of everything. It, it, it's just different. We all know that. 
Auburn fans really showed up and made this sound like a home game, and um, which was expected. But uh, I felt bad, and I got some personal stories uh, from, from this one from from several people, including one who is very close to me, about how long it took them to get into the stadium because you have to walk to get on that side of the field. You have to walk through Memorial Gymnasium to enter the stadium because of construction right now. And uh, I don't know if you've ever been to Memorial Gymnasium in Nashville, but uh, it, it's a weird place. And uh, it's not necessarily the place I would want to get stuck in. Uh, but uh, don't know how it came across on TV, guys, but uh, it, it, it felt and sounded like an Auburn home game most of the way. L- loud when Vanderbilt had the ball and it was like an important down, right? Like with third third down with Vanderbilt's offense on the field, it was very strange on television because – this is the home game. Uh, this is the home team, uh, but but the crowd's the crowd's getting real noisy. You want to just, I mean, again, it, it's kind of like the game itself for Auburn. Like, you took care of business. Auburn went in, took over their stadium. It's what they do. This is what good teams do against Vanderbilt. <laughs> you know, uh, when they have to play in 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 Nashville, and you win and you cover Painter. I know you're a man who keeps an eye on the point spreads. Did you get a kick as much as I did out of the fact that Auburn closed to 15 and a half and won by 16? <laughs> I think Rich Silva also had a point that Thorns over under passing numbers were like within a yard. I mean, really incredible stuff, folks. Uh, there was a team over under that that Auburn barely got or just got under. I mean, it's just Vegas had this game scouted. Like, I don't know. I don't know how they figured it out, but it was it was perfect. It, it was perfect. All right. Before we go, gentlemen, let's talk some Auburn basketball. Uh, we've got a few minutes here. So, oh, Auburn Baylor on Tuesday night in South Dakota. Baylor, a top 20 team in the country. Ken Palm likes them a little more, just like Ken Palm likes Auburn more on paper. Dan, you were asking me last week about, like, hey, what does Baylor have? What 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 can you get a sense uh, from them as a, as a team? They're gonna. I, I see them, and I see a lot of similarities between them and Auburn in this. They are deep. They are going to be relying on a lot of new faces, but they like. They feel like this is the deepest team they've had in a while. The guard play. They're they're going to go six deep at guard. Um, and, you know, I was reading some folks from Baylor saying uh, that they feel like this could be the deepest front court that Scott Drew's had. That he's going to be able to kind of mix and match a lot more up front. Um, they kind of have this this Baylor team kind of has a lot again like what Auburn has um in terms of they're going to be relying on transfers this season uh making a step up they're going to be relying on a big time true freshman um this is a this is a really interesting matchup like um i believe in a secret scrimmage uh reportedly uh Baylor played Gonzaga Gonzaga won by 3 in that one um, so Baylor's going to be pretty tested in this one, and uh, they are going to be the favorites, I would imagine. This is going to be a really big test for Auburn. It's going to be a great litmus test because I think Baylor, if all the pieces click for Baylor this year, I think this is a team that's really got a chance to go into the second weekend of the NCAA tournament and be one of the better teams in the Big 12. Um, they got a lot of talent at their disposal, for sure, and a lot of depth, uh, which when you pair that with one of the best coaches in college basketball, you'll you'll, you'll get a lot you'll get a lot out of that. ESPN app has Baylor as a one and a half point favorite uh, right now as of uh, Makes uh, about, sense. Yeah, about, about, a, about a day and a half away. I mean, it's really a, I mean, there's a Christmas Eve type of feeling to 
the the day that we're doing this taping because college basketball gets going early tomorrow morning. And I mean, this is the last weekend without college basketball until what, Justin? Uh, April. Like I mean, we're, I mean, we're going we're April, going a yeah. we're, we're going a long way. I mean, it'll be well into Major League Baseball season before we uh, uh before we have a weekend where there's no more college basketball. So yeah, this, this is a really exciting time. And you know, tomorrow I'm so I mean I'm so used to ESPN. Like I, I remember when they used to to blow out the beginning of college basketball with the, like marathon coverage. That's before the ESPN Plus invention, which I think is where they've steered a lot of the regular season college basketball games now uh but auburn baylor tuesday night that's i think that's going to go on right after the uh, the college football playoff show i think that's mm-hmm. i think that's how espn's doing it on tuesday night is they're going to do their their college football playoff show and that's going to go right into uh coverage of, of auburn and baylor but yeah it's a it's an exciting opportunity uh two teams that should be in most folks uh top 25s i think two teams that will contend uh for their conference titles and uh and yeah it's a it's a, it's a great way even even if the location is a little unusual, it's a uh, it's a great way uh, to begin what, what should be a fun uh, Auburn men's basketball season. Three names to know for Baylor. I'm going to give it to you real quick. Ray J. Dennis uh, was the MAC Player of the Year last year, unanimous MAC Player of the Year last year. Um, he averaged uh, let's see, 19 and a half points per game, led an assist per game, great assist to turnover ratio, awesome floor generals, played a lot of college basketball. He also spent time uh, at Boise State. Before he was at Toledo, so this is his third school. One of the most experienced, best mid-major guards in the country. He's going to be running the show for Baylor this year. He's going to be a great matchup. Um, really big test for guys like Trey Donaldson, Aiden Holloway uh, early in this one. Additionally, I would think Denver Jones would have a lot of responsibility guarding him. Another guy to keep an eye on, this Baylor team does not return a ton of production from last season, but they got a couple guys that they leaned on last year. Jalen Bridges is one of them. 6'9", power forward. Um, he he started his career at West Virginia. Uh, played last season, started all 34 games for him last year. Uh, had some really good performances there. He's a guy that they're going to look to to be kind of their continuity. I look at him a lot like Jalen Williams, uh, you know, Jani Broom, some of these other guys for Auburn where, you know, they have they're, – they're going to be able to lean on some dudes that have played a good bit of ball. And just like uh, – just like Auburn uh, – just like Auburn, Baylor has their own – Top tier uh, freshman. Um, in this case, uh, it is Jacoby Walter. Jacoby Walter was the number one shooting guard in the country last season, according to Two Four Seven Sports. Number eight player overall. He played at Link Academy. Uh, he's originally from Texas. Stayed close to home. He's going to Baylor. Baylor's had this like kind of run where they don't get five stars left and right, but when they do, it just gets even scarier because of that co- that coaching staff. Uh, Walter's been phenomenal. Auburn recruited Walter. He even made an, an official visit at one point, but he ended up staying with uh, Baylor. He's a he's a big name player, big name player, six um, five shooting guard. Uh, Link won the national championship last year. He averaged <laughs> he averaged uh, twenty three uh, points per game uh, as a junior in high school. This dude's a bucket getter, very talented guy. So I see a lot of similarities between Auburn and Baylor in terms of a lot of depth, a lot of weapons. Mix of transfers taking a step up, freshmen trying to play, trying to trying to last some guys who were really good for him last year. Um, should be a really really fun game. And like you said, Dan, one and a half point spread towards Baylor. Baylor played in South Dakota last season, so they're going to be a little more familiar with that uh, environment. Um, I think 
I mean, I think if, if Auburn could win this game, man, that is going to be huge. I think if they're competitive with Baylor all the way through, this is a great opening test. They go and Baylor takes care of business and, and, and beats them. Um, and, and, you know, it'll be a lot for Auburn to learn from. So it's a great game one to get started. Uh, Auburn fans should be pr- plenty excited. Aiden Holloway should be back. Um, you know, he, he did not play in the, in the exhibition. Bruce Pearl said he should be back for the, um, for the game against Baylor. Jani Broom, a little more questionable. Don't have any update on him yet. Um, Auburn did rest the two games, uh, the two days after the exhibition <clears throat> on Wednesday night where Jani Broom picked up that shoulder injury, a pinch in the rotator cuff. We'll see. Didn't seem to be anything structural. Didn't seem he needed a brace or anything like that. We will see if he'll be able to go on Tuesday night. Things have changed a little bit uh, over the course of uh, Scott Drew's tenure at Baylor, but the uh, uh, you know for, for a long time, they were as good as anybody around the basket defensively. Like they were one of the tougher post defense. Like that was their identity for a long time. Uh, last season, and, and it feels like that's you know that's that's been sort of an adjustment to a uh, to, to a more spread out attack. Uh, last season, they were really tough on the perimeter, but gave up a high percentage of their twos as a defense. Uh, maybe maybe that's changed since the end of last year. But you wonder if maybe this is a game where. Uh, Auburn needs to avoid getting into a three-point contest and, and and trying to get to the basket more. Banner, we'll wrap up with this. Auburn basketball underway on Tuesday. I know you've been looking forward to this. We all have your final thoughts on, I guess, the preseason and looking ahead to not only this big game between Auburn and Baylor, but, but what's to come for Bruce Pearl and the gang. I'm just hoping for some fireworks. You know, the league's stacked. I don't expect them to win the league this year if they could get a top four seed in the tournament, I'd be a happy camper. But until then, I'm just hoping for some some more excitement. Last season, um, the guys played hard. It just wasn't always the most fun brand of style to watch. I think we're in for a reversal on that. It'd be a lot of fun. I'm, I'm looking forward to being there in South Dakota and watching this team play and covering that first game. And then, yeah, not going to be able to cover the home opener, but I'm, I know I'll be already be in Arkansas. But I know that is going to be a, a a great atmosphere, really good atmosphere for that exhibition on on uh, on uh, last Wednesday night. So really good, uh, Dan. Are you going to be you're going to be at the uh, the the fr- the home opener against is Southeastern? That, is that Friday night? Yeah, Friday night. I should I should be able to make it to that one. I've got a I've got Troy and Ball State to begin the season at Trojan Arena on uh, on Saturday the uh, the nineteenth. That game is actually going on during. Auburn, Arkansas. So I'll have to figure out uh, a way to watch Auburn, Arkansas after uh, the the game has ended. I'll be making my ESPN Plus uh, debut. Hey, Hey, speaking of Ball State, Justin, I uh, hate this. I know what you're going to say, and I hate this. Yeah, Painter, I I was doing, and and look, you know, people can do their own sort of stuff, but I I was totally in from. I was doing some research on Ball State's roster. Pretty good team. Uh, They uh, they're they're entering the season in in the top. I think 12 in the in the mid-major top 25 women's college basketball but their roster does not use guards and forwards they use uh backs and crashers which was I I don't know it's it's I, I don't know if that's a had you ever encountered that before Justin in in your in, in no. your travels never never right it's it's a it's an unusual one for me and I don't I don't know uh uh, it, yeah, I just I wonder if I wonder if that's a cultural thing. If there's a country where they call them backs and crashers instead of uh, in, instead of uh, uh, guards and forwards. Sounds like a sounds like Aussie football positions. Yeah, like Aussie rules positions. 
I was in little little British town from uh, Arrested Development, uh, playing a playing a basketball game, and that's Wee that's Britain. what they call them. Yeah, I was in Wee Britain. Panner, are you a are you a backer or a crasher? I don't know. I don't know. I believe I, I believe I, guards are backs and forwards I, are crashers okay, based right. on, based on the way they used. Uh, I'm that now that is a guess based just on the height of the crashers. <laughs> that's exact. That's all I'm that basing that I play pickup basketball. Painter, he can crash for a back. I'll tell you that he, he he'll he'll mix it up in there. He, he ain't afraid to fight. You crash my back, I crash yours, right? All right, folks, that's going to do it for today's uh t- today's podcast. Appreciate everybody listening. Appreciate uh, all the shout outs. Uh, appreciate the the folks we ran into in Nashville. Um, some some observer subscribers. Um, shout out to shout out to the inner circle, uh, making their presence felt in uh in Vanderbilt Stadium and and putting on their hard hats and getting ready to rock. I think some of y'all will be up in South Dakota or Brooklyn the next couple of weeks. So uh, always good to to hear from y'all. Um, we'll be back later in the week to recap Auburn Baylor on the basketball court and preview Auburn Arkansas on the football field. Until then, that's it for me. I'm about to go live out of a suitcase for a week. Can't wait. Painter, final thoughts. I have a correction to issue, although it is possible that Rich Silva was keeping track of the over-under for Peyton Thorne. It was actually Josh Dubb who pointed out that Peyton Thorne passed for 194 yards against Vandy, and his over-under was 194.5. Vegas knows. <laughs>